Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of Unraveling. My name is Fraser and I have Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. So I'd like to just start by saying um, thank you really to everyone who shared the first episode and to everyone who sent me a lovely message. Uh, I got quite a few of those so that was really nice. Um, and just yeah, thank you for the general support. The feedback I got was really nice so um, yeah. I know at least two people listened to it in the bath so... Uh, I'm very honoured for that, obviously. Um, And, oh, uh, just up top here as well, uh, I just want to say that um, I was fortunate enough to be invited on to my friend Jordan's chat show, Not Just Politics, and you can find that on Instagram at notjustpolitics underscore. Uh, uh, We talked about OCD for a while and COVID-19 and what we think the world will be like after COVID-19 and all that good stuff. So, yeah, if you're interested in this show, you might also find that quite interesting. So last week um, we briefly touched on the uh, topic of um, kind of inflated responsibility that people with OCD might experience. And OCD often does lead um, up to people, which is also a term we coined last week for people who suffer from OCD. Um, But OCD often does uh, lead to feeling um, personally responsible for preventing harm as much as you can. Uh, and I think it's very much a worst-case scenario um, way of thinking. I think that's probably why OCD has that effect on people, because it does sort of make you envision what could go wrong. Um, and I think uh, Octa people uh, might sort of catastrophize things in their heads until they're kind of terrified that the worst possible thing that can happen, you know, if it does happen, they'll be personally responsible for it. And so, as a result of that, um, we tend to take extra precautions um, in the way of our compulsions to avoid uh, the outcome entirely. So that feeling of responsibility, that kind of moral constraint on your actions, can lead to some very negative emotions. Uh, So that's what we're going to be focusing on today, partly. And then later we're going to be moving to uh, discuss one of the tactics that you can do in a lockdown uh, to still kind of work on your OCD. And it's a technique that I've used before and found quite effective. It might not work for everyone, but it's definitely something to explore for yourself. So we'll talk about that in a second. Um, But just back to this responsibility thing, to kind of flesh out how that works, at least for me, I know every kind of minor infraction, for example, of the government guidelines around coronavirus makes me feel like I've done something unforgivable. And that's actually why I've started this podcast. That's, if you remember from last week, that's um, that's how this came to be. The thing is, comparatively, I've been following the guidelines quite well, um, you know, as you would expect someone with OCT to do. Um, but regardless of that, even small kind of what I would perceive as transgressions from what I'm told to do makes me feel extremely guilty and I feel responsible for anything that might happen after that. But only insofar as the outcome is negative. See, if anything good happens from my actions, I don't really pat myself on the back much or think that it had anything to do with me, at least as it relates to current affairs these days. You know, I'll only I'll only kind of... I can only really see things where my OCD is concerned as being my fault rather than being 
my doing in a in a more positive way you know there's no there's no kind of gold stars for people with ocd <laughs> just um kind of moral destitution and feeling of shame really <laughs> so between that feeling of responsibility and the associated um intrusive thoughts i can quite easily convince myself that i'm the reason that people keep getting sick and i feel like i have an even greater responsibility to obey the rules than others in order to circumvent that outcome. So I'd like to take a minute now to kind of have a discussion about how OCD affects my day-to-day life. Um, And you'll see how these kind of feelings of heightened responsibility uh, come into play in that. But I'd like to just mention here that this week has been uh, extremely difficult for me. for um, for a very brief time, my housemate was showing symptoms of coronavirus, um, and so he's feeling better now, which is great, and he's allowed out of the flat again. But the downside for that for me was that I have to isolate for two weeks, uh, and I'm a week in. And as you can imagine, someone in my position, I'm not doing that great with it. <laughs> you know, I feel very kind of trapped and very afraid of. Every, all the all the hard surfaces and stuff in my flat because it could be uh, harboring the coronavirus and um and again it's not catching corona that I'm afraid of it's spreading it and it being my fault that's what it really comes down to for me that's where the fear is and the anxiety is um but when I found when we when we discovered that uh, my housemate had these symptoms I had to find work and tell them that I couldn't come in for two weeks and they made me call the company Healthline, who said that if we share a kitchen or a bathroom or anything like that, I'd have to wipe down all the surfaces and anything that we might share uh, every time he uses one of those things. And so I found it really difficult to keep on top of the cleaning. And I'm just starting to turn the corner with it now. Um, I'm feeling a lot better. I'm relaxing a bit. And partly that's because, again, this kind of notion of um, exposure... You know, at first it was very stressful and it made me feel very anxious, but over time I actually kind of adjusted and my anxiety came down of its own accord. And that was due to the fact that I, you know, the the more time you spend in a situation that makes you feel anxious, the more used to it you can become. It's um it's just something that your your mind does, I think, to kind of shield you from from harm. Um, and those negative emotions. And you can cut really you can get used to anything, but or so they say. But in this case, I think it's a it's definitely a good thing. Anyway, so we're going to look now at um, how my OCD uh, impacts my daily life. I just thought I'd mention that it had been a hard week for me to kind of give this some more context. So I've selected a task that I do throughout the day, multiple times a day, um, and anyone who knows me will be able to confirm that. But we're going to look at how OCD affects my ability to make a cup of tea because I thought that would be something that everyone could relate to I think everyone here knows how to make a cup of tea but I just want to look at how something as simple as that can be impacted when you have um, a mental illness this mental illness in particular so to start when you make tea right we need a mug uh, and you need your tea bag and your kettle so the mug not a problem for me I cleaned it so I know we're safe there tea bag 
could be an issue, but I'm about to pour boiling water on it so I can kind of push push out any negative thoughts I might be having about the teabag, because that'll probably kill anything dangerous that's on it. Kettle. Okay, we're starting to get a bit concerned here. The kettle's a hard surface, uh, and it's nice and warm on the outside. So it's prime real estate for germs. Uh, you know, it's like a lakeside cabin with a wood-burning fireplace. Lots of room to grow get creative you know that's 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 top shelf stuff that's that's a that's a nice uh it's a nice loft in downtown manhattan you know <laughs> that's where the, that's where all the cool gems live that's where they want to be so that means the kettle needs a, a deep cleaning so um uh unless i'm sure that it's clean uh, i'll have a i'll have a go at it I'll scrub it with a hot soapy cloth wipe it down with some kitchen roll and then throw out the kitchen roll put it in the recycling if I can bear the thought that the germs would you know not harm anyone if I put it in the recycling but if not then it goes straight in the general waste I know it's bad isn't it but the good news is I don't need to clean the whole kettle yet just the bits that I'm going to touch so I just need to do the the handle and the button that I use to switch it on and uh, the top bit to open the top and pour the water in all right so that's had a good drubbing down water is boiling so what now right so I can't touch anything right now. So uh, what I might do at this point is maybe wash my hands to make sure that going forward we're we're um, completely germ-free. I probably did that at the start already and just didn't mention it, but uh, I'm definitely going to do it now if not. And so I'll sing uh, Happy Birthday to Michelangelo twice to make sure that I've done it for 20 seconds. You know, there's there's, there's plenty of ways that people make sure they wash their hands for 20 seconds at the moment but that's the one I use and by the time this is done maybe the kettle is boiled so I can start pouring the water on the bag so now I need a teaspoon and there's a pile of washing up that's mostly mine so in there's probably a teaspoon so that'll get scrubbed with some hot soapy water again while the tea brews Uh, and then I'll use that teaspoon to stir and remove the bag this is all very standard but Already there's a couple of compulsions that have snuck its way into just this kind of everyday task. So um, we'll see if any more of them crop up. What would I need next? I need milk. Milk is in the fridge. Germs don't die at cold temperatures, but they do go dormant. So as long as nothing contaminated goes in, nothing contaminated comes out. Uh, But how do I open the fridge? Because I can't touch the door handle because uh, that's a shared surface and it could have corona on it. So... Uh, I will prise the door open uh, with my either my fingertips from the side or with my left big toe at the moment. That's kind of the, the more common one because it gets it as far away from my hand as possible. I will extract the milk uh, and then I need to assess if the milk carton now needs cleaning. Um, and if I paid for it at a self-checkout, then no, it probably doesn't. But if it was handled at the checkout by a cashier... Um, then, yeah, I do need to wipe down the milk carton if I haven't already. So I will scrub the milk carton handle and the lid in particular and then dry it with a paper towel and bin the paper towel but not in the recycling in the general waste unless I'm having a good day, in which case I might be able to put it in the recycling. Uh, And then I will pour the milk into the tea, put the milk back in the fridge, shut the fridge with my foot um, and stir the tea. Teaspoon goes in the sink. And you might be wondering why earlier I said there was a pile of washing up that was mine. And you might be thinking, well, surely someone with OCD would be very on top of their washing up. But again, it's not about cleanliness. It's about avoiding my anxiety. So uh, 
a big part of this as well is just that, frankly, I'm lazy. But also I'm a bit worried that if I start cleaning something like that, I might not stop for a while. Um, and also, I'm sick of cleaning things at this point. So, yeah, teaspoon just goes straight in the sink. Right, I've got the tea ready now. So now I need to take the mug from the counter, which uh, was sterilized earlier, to the sofa area so I can enjoy it. So to do that, I have to carry it so I need to do a final kind of risk assessment to make sure that there's no possibility for cross-contamination here uh, and then I'll probably wash my hands again just to be sure so hand washing done and then you know I'm going to make sure that I do it for 20 seconds and I'm getting in between the fingers and down to the wrists and under the fingernails and if I don't do all those things or if I absentmindedly just start rinsing my hands off before I've reached the 20 second mark I have to do it all again so we've done all that now hand washing is done uh, and now I've got wet hands, so what do we do with wet hands? I can't rub them on my trousers because there's a risk of recontamination there. And I can't use the same tea towel that my housemate might have used. Um, I could use the hand towel in the bathroom, but, well, no, I can't for the same reason. I'm not allowed to use the same uh, towel that my housemate might have used because, again, corona. I can't use the tea towel that's hanging on the oven door, which I know is mine, uh, because it's hanging on the oven door handle and that's a common contact point. Um... So I have to find a clean towel, or at least a towel that I'm confident doesn't have corona on it. So I might settle for my bath towel, as gross as that might sound to some of you. It's actually the safest option because it's probably got the least COVID on it, assuming that I don't have COVID when I come out of the shower. <laughs> right, so my hands are dry, so I'm going back to the mug now. Uh, and now I've got to carry it over to my sofa where I'm going to sit down and enjoy it. Um... <laughs> But as I do so, I've got to make sure I'm not uh, coming into contact with any contagions again. So I might have to uh, clean the coffee table where I'm going to set the mug down. By this time, the tea is starting to get a bit cold. Um, but if if I've done my OCD routine uh, as quickly as possible, that whole thing probably took between kind of five to ten minutes. Um and my skin will probably hurt because it's cracking from all the constant washing. But now at least I have a cup of tea and I'm ready to do whatever it is that I'm now going to do. Well, drink the tea. And that's it. I've just walked you through how someone with OCD makes a cup of tea. And if that was really boring for you, <laughs> then I'd like you to just take a second to consider how someone without OCD would make a cup of tea. Uh, I've actually got some notes here. And it just says, switch the goddamn kettle on and brew, my man. Just add milk. It's like a chia pet. Not that hard. <laughs> I know you don't add milk to chia pets. It's water, I think. Is it water? Is that just add water, chia pets? Oh, do you guys remember H2... Is it H2O? The... Was it called that? The show with the mermaids? It was like H2O, just add water. And it was like those Aussie girls that... Or Kiwi? The American. I th oh, actually, they might have been like Polynesian, like Hawaiian. I don't know, but I think as they turned into mermaids whenever they came into contact with water, which meant if it rained, they would just turn into a mermaid on the side of the street. And because they were keeping it a secret, they had to like not go out when it was raining. <laughs> but because I think I think they lived in Hawaii, so there was like all these tropical storms and stuff. <laughs> Such a dumb show. I remember one episode they're like in a volleyball tournament. And they're winning, but then the volleyball gets wet. 
And they're like, oh no, we can't win the volleyball tournament, we gotta quit. And they're like, oh, shouldn't we dry the ball before we continue playing? And then the other team's like, ah, you fucking, you're scared of some, like, a wet volleyball? Ah, a bit of water never kill anyone, mate. And then they, like, spike the ball at them. <laughs> They've got to fucking jump out of the way <laughs> so they don't get wet. <laughs> oh, and it, wow, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, so the point of all of that, if it wasn't clear, was to just kind of illustrate how... Um, simple things like making a cup of tea or really anything around the house really suddenly becomes very difficult if you have OCD and furthermore you can see that there's actually a lot of thought involved in just really basic actions you know there's like a plan um, every single stage of it has to be assessed kind of multiple times for any risk and if I detect that there is any risk there I will take measures to avoid it and that's because I like I said I have this heightened feeling that I'm personally responsible for avoiding the spread of this disease. So that might give you some insight into what it's like to live with OCD while there's this pandemic going on, and we're going to see how responsibility plays into OCD even more in this uh, upcoming bit, which is going to be all about um, a specific technique that I learned in therapy to help manage my OCD. But hopefully... um, if it's not clear, you can kind of see why I was doing some of those things that I was doing in my tea-making story. And it's all just to avoid, basically avoid culpability um, for myself so that I'm kind of free from blame in the spreading of the disease because no one can say, oh, you know, it's Fraser's fault that his housemate got COVID because look how careful he's being, you know. Um, But that, you know, that really is what it's like for me. Um, or at least that's what it's been like until now. I'm starting to kind of calm down, I think, a bit regarding it. But anyway, we're going to move on to a specific technique that I learned in therapy for coping with OCD. And before we do, I just want to take a second here to remind people that it's important that they look for and research their own coping mechanisms if you do have OCD or any mental illness, really. Because again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm just kind of sharing my experiences and sharing what works for me. But what works for me might not work for you. So... Yeah, I just want to kind of firm that in, you know. It is important to to look into these things yourself. But for now, uh, I will share with you something that I've learned. And this is called imaginal exposure. So last week we briefly mentioned exposure and how exposing yourself to the thing that you're afraid of and allowing your anxiety to come down gradually of its own accord rather than using your compulsions to bring your anxiety down is one of the ways that we can treat OCD. Um, And I spoke a little bit about that on Jordan's chat show again, just to mention that, at Not Just Politics. So what is imaginal exposure then? So imaginary or imaginal exposure is essentially a form of storytelling. It's kind of a, a, a narrative that you write and read for yourself, which allows you to expose yourself to an intrusive thought that's causing you distress. Um, So it essentially involves summoning and spelling out uh, the thought process for you at a time of your choosing, so it doesn't spring itself on you, you're you're in control of it. And when you've summoned this thought that's causing you distress, you you sort of sit with it and go over it again and again as a way of, rather than using your compulsions, just keeping your focus on the thought and letting your anxiety come down of its own accord. So as you can imagine, this is quite... A useful technique for us at the moment because I mentioned last week that we're not able to do our same 
normal exposures that we might do to combat our OCD because of the uh, lockdown measures. But we can still expose ourselves to intrusive thoughts if we want to as a way of giving them less power and kind of making them less scary. So I've got two examples that I've written here of imaginal exposure stories where I will take an intrusive thought uh, as it relates to COVID-19 such as the intrusive uh, thought or the intrusive worry that I might accidentally kill someone with the virus or that I will cause a second peak of the outbreak or I will uh, harm someone in some way or spread the virus in my own home. And I'm going to take these intrusions about COVID-19 and I'm going to kind of imagine them and in the worst possible outcomes that could happen. Because again, I mentioned earlier that OCD has this habit of catastrophizing and imagining the kind of worst case scenario way of thinking, for which I will then take on a lot of personal responsibility for preventing. So in my exposure story, I'm going to imagine the worst case scenario, and I'm going to imagine that it is my fault and my doing. I'm going to take on all this extra responsibility and I'm really going to spell out this intrusion in in its horrific details. And the thought is that by doing that and then by reading that story to myself between, say, 10 and 20 times a day, I can incrementally expose myself to the idea that that thought and these terrible outcomes that I'm imagining aren't going to come to pass and by continually exposing myself to the intrusion that I might you know harm someone in some way or spread the virus or whatever the intrusion is you can do it for anything but by continually exposing myself to that intrusion I will gradually come to see that intrusion as less and less kind of scary because I'll sort of get used to it and that's what exposure is right it's just getting used to things really and sitting with them and letting your anxiety come now. So I've got these two examples and I'm going to go into one of those now. It's very brief, it's only a paragraph, as they should be. I should say they should all be really quick. But I'm just going to read this to you and then I'll explain the techniques that go behind actually creating one so that you can make one for yourself if you feel you need it. So here's my imaginal exposure story about COVID-19. I come home from the shops and I forget to wash my hands. I accidentally spread the virus around my home and everyone living there gets sick. They realise that it was my fault and they all blame me. I watch my friends die, gasping for breath, knowing that I have caused their deaths. The virus spreads from my house and a second virus peak occurs. Countless others die painfully and I have to live with the guilt forever. When I confess my guilt to my loved ones, they all turn their backs on me and I live out the rest of my life guilt-ridden and alone. So you might be wondering what the hell just happened there. Basically, I wrote that as a way, as an example of an imaginal exposure story, which takes something that I'm afraid of happening, um, which is spreading this virus, as I've already mentioned, and it kind of spells out a way for me in which that could happen. And by doing that, I've had to confront it as a thing to be feared but the idea behind imaginal exposure is that by doing this enough times eventually that thought won't scare me anymore the idea behind imaginal exposure 
is that it is repeated over and over and over again until these things and these intrusions that are causing you so much distress essentially become boring. Because when something bores you, it's very difficult for it to also make you anxious at the same time. So, magical exposure stories should be really short, only like a paragraph or two, and, you know, really to the point, really direct, don't sugarcoat it, and really don't pull your punches. Keep it about what you're afraid of, and always use the first person present tense. So, you need to read it 10 to 20 times a day, and the intrusive thought should become less scary with time. If it doesn't, then that just means you need to up the ante and make the story kind of as horrific as it needs to be. Because the idea here, again, is that after a while you'll get so bored of reading it 20 times a day that it won't be scary to you and then it won't, uh, then it will stop kind of dogging you throughout your day. And it will be hard for the first few days and it might bring your anxiety up, but if it does, just sit with it, don't do your compulsions, and just sit still for half an hour or an hour or longer if that's what it takes until your anxiety starts to come back down of its own accord. And then note how, with the passing of time, you become less afraid until you're back to how you were before you started. So, I would break up the readings of your stories into groups of five. So you do five in the morning, five at midday, and five in the evening, and maybe an extra five uh, readings whenever you need. But make sure you keep the original story in, and you know, don't write a new one every time. Have the actual piece of paper with you. Uh, and available to you whenever you need it. And if you're feeling really brave and you want to see some good results, you can even try reading your story to someone else. And that might be hard if your story is extra horrific. Um, But if you pick an understanding audience, it can be a really effective way of showing you that your intrusive thoughts don't need to be as scary as they feel. Because it, it will feel scary, but the idea is it is for it to become less scary each time you do it until you're just sick to death of it. And then it will bore you rather than making you anxious. And I'd rather have a really boring intrusive thought than a really scary or horrific one, personally. And if you find that your story becomes easily read um, very quickly, but you still have the same intrusions, then write a new story, but this time up the ante. Get a new really scary story going. If you don't want to read it every time, you can also try recording it and playing it to yourself every day, but make sure you're doing it multiple times a day. So I've written here, and now that I've settled that, to kind of make it a bit more clear, I'm going to give you another example and you can kind of see how this theory comes into into practice. Here's another uh, example of a COVID-19 related imaginal exposure story that's meant to challenge the uh, intrusive thought that I will spread the virus and make it worse, or accidentally kill someone. Uh, These are the intrusive thoughts that we're going to be tackling with this story. So here we go. My friend brings me some food and leaves it at my doorstep. I bring it into the house and unknowingly catch coronavirus. It is symptomless, so I go to work the next week as normal. I unwittingly infect hundreds of people that day, many of them vulnerable or at high risk of death. I accidentally cause the deaths of countless unnamed individuals and propagate the spread of the virus. Later I discovered what has happened, but it is too late to act, and I have to live with the burden of what I have done, shunned by all my friends and family. At night I have panic attacks which keep me from sleeping. My gut is filled with guilt and I am tormented daily by my own mind. I die alone and no one attends my funeral. 
So there's an even more extreme example for you to work with. And I should say that these aren't actually my exposure stories that I use for myself. I've made them up just for this. But they are definitely fears that I do experience. So they do apply to me. But my own stories are actually a bit more extreme than this. I wasn't uh, brave enough to do my real ones because... Frankly, I don't trust you yet. <laughs> we haven't built that connection yet. I need to I need to get to know you, you know, before I let you in. This is like the third date. You don't get the hopes and dreams on the third date. Fifth date. Fifth date, we can start talking about futures. I mean, I know it's the second episode, but we're in third date territory here. You know, Maybe if you count the trailer. This is the third installment. Um, so just give me some space, all right? You know, you're being too clingy. It's unbecoming. Um... What am I doing? <laughs> Regardless, I hope that that illustrates the point well enough. So this is a this is a technique of exposure that you can use just in your own home, and I like it because it's so simple. You know, you just need a pen and paper and something you're afraid of, um, and you just need to write yourself a little story like that and just read it ten, fifteen, twenty times a day, and it's as simple as that. And that's a really good way of being able to get your exposure therapy in while you're in isolation. So we can see how heightened and unrealistic feelings of personal responsibility play into this because I've even said at points in both series that I act without proper knowledge. It's an accident, I think, in in both of the cases. And yet, for some reason, I still think of myself as worthy of blame and contempt. So you can see that feeling of responsibility at play there. And that's not specific to my OCD. Um, Inflated responsibility is is quite a common feeling with OCD, I'm, I'm told. And I should also just say that you might, if you experience some of these same anxieties that I do, um, those stories might have have triggered you a little bit. So please, uh, you know, take some breath here if they have. But remember that um, if those stories did upset you or trigger some kind of anxious reaction in you, um, that that really just indicates that this is the kind of work that you might want to start doing for yourself. Um, And the faster you act, the less time the feeling has to embed itself in your own mind. But please look into it yourself if you think you need support um, and make sure that if you are at risk of harm at all that you contact your doctor or therapist if possible. And as extra support, uh, their contact information for the Samaritans and Blurt It Out is linked in the episode description. Um, There's mental health guidance on Blurt It Out specifically regarding coronavirus uh, on there too. So that might be helpful if if you do feel like you need help and you are struggling. That goes for everyone, not just people with OCD. And Blurt Out has got some good resources there for you to look at. But as I say, imaginal exposure is is one way to get your exposure therapy during lockdown. And I've used it, and I like it because it's effective and quite easy to do. Um, You know, I just need a pen and paper. And you you may have to adapt your stories to changes in your obsessions. If you start to notice that your obsessions do change um, over time, which they probably will, whatever intrusive thoughts... Um, that come to you now they might not be the same intrusive thoughts you have in a few months and that's fine um, and that just means you need to adjust the story so that it stays relevant to the thoughts that you're having but the idea here is that uh, if your thoughts start to change that probably means that the old ones aren't as scary to you anymore and so after a while you might find yourself at a point where whatever it is that you're kind of obsessed with becomes less and less of a of a of a anxiety for you and less of less of something that you need to tackle but just make sure that you again you're tackling any kind of intrusive thoughts that you might be having uh quick sooner rather than later um because that will give you the best results and again the the faster you do it the less time you'll have 
uh, the thoughts will have to, to kind of become part of your routine. And I realised that all of that might have sounded really bizarre. <laughs> um, and if you haven't heard of imaginary exposure, then me suddenly reading out those stories might have been a bit strange for you. But um, but it, it works. It's a proven technique for OCD. Um, I've used it. I like it. And it has worked for me in the past. But if it doesn't work for you, then again, that's fine. But I just encourage you to kind of look into and research your own ways of coping. And again, blurt it out might have uh, some some stuff to help you with that. So we're coming to the end now and I just want to uh, share with you one last thing that I've been doing to kind of cope with my stress and anxiety in these trying times and that is music. Um, Music's great. Music has always had such an effect. I mean I'm really kind of, my mood is really susceptible to music. I can really change the way I feel with a song. I have a kind of a list of songs that really reliably will kind of hype me up or put me in a good mood. So I've been listening to those a lot recently. So I'm going to share what those are within now. So the first one is The Payback by James Brown. Um, that song is so great, man. It's so like infectious and oh, it just gets me going. It like gets me up and gets me moving. It's so reliable in that respect. And it's just it's just the best. It's so good. It's just so like, uh, you know, so uh, when I'm feeling really down, I might stick that on and get, you know, get myself moving about a little bit. Um, the other song I've been listening to that I find really relaxing is um, Get In My Car by Bronco. That's just a nice kind of chill, sort of infectious kind of poppy sort of song, indie pop. It's, it's, it's really good. And so that's quite nice if I want to relax. And... I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm I'm not beyond a little bit of JLo with this. I've been listening to Get Right because I find that again, same thing with the payback. It's just just has does bring something out of me, and I'm really missing like bars and clubs and stuff like that at the moment. So listening to a bit of JLo, like some cheesy noughties pop, that's like that's nostalgia at this point. <laughs> I'm sure you've all got your own music that you use to change your mood. So create yourself. Why don't you make uh, a, like a like an anxiety playlist and next time you're having a, a bad day or, well, it's not really bad days, but it's kind of like bad hours at this point because I know my mood changes on a dime at the moment because the concept of day and night has kind of lost all meaning to me at this point. <laughs> but get yourself an anxiety playlist going and then if you're having a bad, you know, having a wobble, stick that on. And then couple that maybe with um, some of the techniques that we've talked about today. And yeah, see, see how you go. And if it doesn't work for you, if, if any of the stuff that I ever bring up on this doesn't appeal to you, then again, I'm, you know, I'm, not a, I'm not a therapist. I'm just sharing what's worked for me because I think it might be useful for other people to hear how someone else is, is handling it. Because I, I know that helps me. I quite like um, listen, just listening to how other people are doing. Sometimes puts your own kind of life um frames it in a way that maybe seems a bit more manageable afterwards i don't know i don't know i I don't need to go into why i'm doing this i did all that in the first episode which you should go and listen to if you haven't already so i think i'm going to call it a day there hopefully that was interesting for you guys um if not i hope it was at least insightful i'm sorry if it was really boring listening to me making a cup of tea but you know it's my podcast and i'll do what i want (laughs) um I recorded this much later at night, so I didn't get any uh, interruptions from a seagull, um, whose name is Geralt, 
by the way. Um, I didn't mention that last episode. But, uh, yeah, but I think it makes a bit more sense to do it late at night and get a few less interruptions. But anyway, right, before I go on forever, I think I'll end it there. But anyway, I hope that was interesting. I hope everyone's safe and not feeling too overwhelmed. And if you are, you know, that's okay. Just do whatever you can to get through it because it's a very, very confusing and scary time. But none of you are alone. And, um, just keep that in mind, and hopefully it'll get a bit easier from now on. Alright, I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.